for, we're raising money for a fence outside Noah's Ark and see the fence. Now, we, we didn't raise money for these children, but if you can look behind that, you can see the fence. And, um, and so we have a new fence. It's taller. Um, the, the, the poles are in such a way that children can't get their heads through, um, which is always a good thing. Uh, there's no rust, um, and the children are clearly happy. So, um, so thank you to all of you who have helped to kind of put that fence up. And if you want to look at it, it's right over in that direction over there, and you can go look at it uh, perhaps after the service. Um, I have a couple of other things that I want to uh, bring up this morning before we kind of dive in. One of them is, is that I know um, I've, I talked quite a bit, um, I don't know, two or three months ago about uh, the church softball team. And I know that many of you have been wondering how that's going um, because no one has asked. And so I... Um, but I decided to tell you anyways, uh, it's been a little bit of a struggle this season, but, um, but finally, um, last Sunday, in the very last game of the regular season, ZPC won the game, huh? That's right. And as a point of personal privilege, I would like for you to know that the winning starting pitcher was Megan Deck. Yeah? So... Uh, don't say anything to her, though. She's, she's getting a little bit braggartly, and it's kind of embarrassing. So, But she's very excited. So, um, The other thing, I also want to bring up one other person today, and that is um, Scott Shelton. Um, Scott uh, applied um, several months ago now for a clergy, clergy renewal grant uh, from Lilly, and, um, and he received it. About a week and a half, he received notification of that. And... And so, um, so he was very excited about this. And one of the great things that this grant will allow him to do is he's going to take a sabbatical. It will start um, tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. It starts uh, middle of May, right? And it will go for about four months until the middle of September. And one of the things he's going to be able to do is he's going to be able to take all of his family. They're going to go on a trip to Israel. Uh, they're going to go a trip um, on the American West. Um, he and Claire, um, his bride, are going to be able to take a little trip to, to Florida uh, together. I think that's the one that uh, he's most looking forward to probably. And um, so this is just a great, I think, a great kind of um, um, well, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing, and a, um, it was a, not an easy grant to receive. There was a lot of work that went in, but I think certainly you will agree with me that Scott is very well-deserving, and so uh, congratulations to you, Scott. And, um, and remember, it doesn't start until May, okay? All right, good. Thanks, Scott. All right, brothers and sisters, we're looking at parables today. As you know and as you have heard, and so we're going to start today um, with a very pithy parable, um, the one that you just uh, sung about in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it comes to us from the 7th chapter, verses 24 through 29, and so I invite you to follow along as I read that today. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. 
Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. New schedules and new things happening around us, and we are reminded that you are always creating anew, and we thank you for that. God, we pray that as we um, dive into these parables, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds, perhaps in ways that they have not been opened before. I thank you for this opportunity to journey together with this congregation over these next few months. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to our look at the parables. I've always loved the parables. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was always kind of very easy to get engaged by the parables and to, uh, to think about them and to wrestle with them. And so um, they're always kind of fun stories, and we would act them out, and we would, we would sing them as, as we just did. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of spending some time in the parables. But uh, I have to admit that this week I was actually spending a fair amount of time kind of thinking back about Galatians and uh, specifically uh, to the, the sermon that John preached last Sunday uh, when he dealt with the passage in the sixth chapter. And one of the things that he talked about, uh, and rightfully so, I think, is the fact that, um, is that many of our lives are kind of messy, that our, our lives are messy, and yet a part of our particular call is to always try and figure out how we can help to gently restore those who perhaps have lost their way, those who are, who are struggling. That that's a part of, of who we are, because when you do that, you have no idea what may happen. Right? And so, so John gave us three different kind of looks at people in the scriptures. One of them was, um, was Moses. And Moses had killed somebody, as John pointed out. And then he fled and he was hiding out like a shepherd, right? And all of a sudden, then God came in this kind of fiery bush and he, he helped to restore Moses. And before you know it, Moses, this person who had killed somebody, is now helping to free all of these slaves, um, uh, the Israelites, from their slavery. So, it's a pretty great story. Then uh, also Paul, of course, the story of Paul. Paul who was persecuting people, right? This is what John talked about and, and about the fact that all of a sudden then this person who was persecuting and killing Christians, he is gently restored, if you will, and everything begins to change and he begins to plant churches and he writes the letter like the letter that we looked at all this summer. And then, of course, we have David. And this was the third person that John brought up. And David, King David, the one we are told who, who, who was made in the image of, or, or who's, who was a heart. What was, what was it said about David? Who was a man after God's own heart. Scott, Scott's already on sabbatical. He was a man after God's own, I'm just kidding, he knew it. He was a man after God's own heart. But of course, David looked over, saw Bathsheba, committed an affair, And then, of course, had her husband, Bathsheba's husband, killed. Now, as I was kind of thinking about that, I realized that there are a a couple of lessons, of course, that we learn. One is, again, that we should never think that we are beyond kind of falling or struggling. That all of us, even a man after God's own heart could struggle, then surely we can as well. And surely about the power of God's grace. 
But it seems to me there's one other lesson that we can learn from this particular story about David. And that is how easily we can deceive ourselves. Because think about it, David knew, right? He knew what he was supposed to do and what he wasn't supposed to do. David knew the rules. He wrote most of many of the Psalms. I mean, David knew the Scripture. He knew the Ten Commandments. And yet, for some reason, David was able to continue in this relationship as if nothing has happened and as if nothing was wrong. He had easily deceived himself. So God calls Nathan, and he tells Nathan to go and to approach David about what he is doing. And so that's exactly what Nathan does. And what does Nathan do? Does Nathan kind of go up to him, and does, he, does Nathan go up to David? If you remember the story, does he, does he kind of pull out one of the tablets, you know, and he says, hey, remember this guy? You know, does he go and does he just start yelling at him and say, what are you thinking? This is ridiculous. I mean, are you, are you blind? I mean, what's, what's happening? You know, he doesn't do that. What does Nathan do? Nathan tells the story. Like any good storyteller, Nathan goes into great detail. He, he says there was a rich man. And the rich man had plenty of sheep. I mean, he had flock after flock of sheep. There's just lots of sheep. And then there was a poor man. And the poor man had how many sheep? One. And the poor man loved this one sheep. Nathan tells us that he allowed the sheep to kind of, you know, to eat the the, the meagerly amounts of food that he has. That in fact he actually allowed him, now this is a little bit weird, he actually allowed him to drink out of the same chalice as he did, right? You know, little for me. You know, a little for Buster, whatever, right? So, in fact, Nathan said, the the, the sheep was very much like a daughter to the man. Well, a visitor comes in town. The visitor comes in town and he he approaches, uh, he, he goes to the rich man. And, of course, in that time and place, whenever someone comes, whenever you have a visitor, you have to kind of take care of them. You've got to feed them. And so the rich man, though, didn't want to give up his sheep even though he had a plenteous amount of them. And so what does he do? He goes and he takes the one sheep from the poor man, the only one he had, the one who's like a daughter. He takes it and he kills it and he offers it to the stranger. David, of course, is absolutely furious. You almost get this kind of cartoonish like thought about it, right? That his face is red, the smoke is coming out of his ears. He cannot believe it. He says, whoever this man is, he should be killed. And Nathan turns to him and says, you are the man. All of a sudden, the blinders that had been on David, all of a sudden fall. And he realizes what he has been doing. You see, the story, the parable kind of snuck up on David. See, it's easier for us oftentimes to be able to see what other people are doing wrong in other stories than it is for us to see in our own lives. And so stories or parables have a way of kind of being subversive. And before you know it, just like David did, you realize that you're actually the main character in the story. 
It's a part of the reason why Jesus was always telling parables because Jesus, he was a pretty sharp guy and he knew that sometimes if you were just straight talking, that you'd put up your defenses and there's no way that anything you said would reach him. But if you told a story, that all of a sudden, that knight might be able to get a message across that just talking straightforward may not. And so my hope and prayer is that that's what happens as we kind of wrestle with these parables over these next several weeks. That we would be able to begin to see perhaps things about God or about ourselves or what God has called us to that we would not otherwise have seen or experienced. And so as we thought about starting with the parables this week, I thought, you know, why don't we start with something that is very simple. The simple story of the wise man and the foolish man. And it's easy, of course, when we talk about parables to try to hurry up and get to the, to the main point. What's the main point? Let's get to the foundation of this. But one of the things I think that's helpful about parables is to also think about those things that are a little bit more subtle. And one of those more subtle things about this particular parable that Jesus is teaching us is the simple fact that the rain and the floods and the wind, the storms, came upon whom? Both. It came upon both of them. Because the reality is, I think at least, at least this is true in my life, is that it's easy for us to begin thinking that if God loves us and if we are acting well, if we are following well, for us to begin to assume that if that's happening, then we should all of a sudden be living in San Diego, California, right? That everything should be sunny, just a little gentle breeze from time to time, and everything will be perfect, right? There's just something inside of us. And I think maybe this happens, especially for those of us who were raised perhaps in a particular kinds of churches, right? That there's just this sense that, you know what, that everything should be good. You start feeling guilty if, if things are going wrong. You start thinking you must be doing something that is making God angry, right? I, I had this experience just a couple months ago when we were, I was in Kansas City and I got this text from our tenant. We have a house up in Chicago and he says, you know, hey, we, um, the air conditioner's out. I'm like, oh, great, you know, and of course, it wasn't a weekday. Of course, it was a Saturday, right? And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll call somebody. So I called somebody, and they finally came out, you know, and they said, oh, it's, uh, it's not the air conditioning. It's, it's the electricity. You, you need to get the electrician out there. Great, okay, I'll call an electrician. So we call an electrician. Finally, a couple days later, the electrician gets out there. The electrician says, oh, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not the electricity. You know what it is. It's the, it's the air conditioner. I mean, well, that's great. Thanks. Of course it is. Absolutely. So finally, I get another air conditioning person to come out there. And of course, they charge each time. It's very kind. And so as they should, um, uh, but it doesn't keep me from getting angry. And so, so, so all of a sudden, then the, the air conditioner person comes out, right? And, and finally, right, the air conditioner person says, that, yes, it is, but it's kind of both. And so they go. And of course, then I come home and guess what's out at my home when I get back here? The air conditioning. And I was thinking, honestly, I, I, I begin to kind of check okay, what have I been doing? Have I been doing something wrong? It's almost this kind of automatic, right? Well, it ends up, it wasn't me. It was Megan that was doing something wrong. And so, I'm just kidding. Maybe, I don't know, I didn't check. Um, but sometimes we just have this sense, right, that, 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 that things are going poorly, that God loves us. He wouldn't let things go poorly. But the reality, of course, as this parable so well attests, is the fact that, that, that the rains and the storms come on both of us. Right? And I was reminded of that even more so a couple weeks ago. I was reading the uh, Indianapolis Stars two Sundays ago, I think. And there was, a, um, there was an article on Dr. Kent Brantley, right? And you guys, you guys probably are familiar with him. And 
Dr. Brantley was an Indianapolis native who then um, contracted Ebola when he was over in Africa doing mission work. And I thought he said something that was fascinating. Here's what he said. I want you to hear it. He says, people have asked me if my faith saved me from Ebola as in a physical healing. Dr. Brantley says, in a very real way, it was my faith that got me Ebola. Or to put it another way, it was his faith that put him in the very path of the storm. Living out his faith, he said, is what put him in a place where he was at a risk of Ebola. He says, our faith is not something that makes us safe. In fact, the reality is, it seems to me, that oftentimes when we are actually following out the call of Jesus, we will find ourselves in more storms than we might otherwise have been in. The difference is not whether or not you will have storms in your life. The difference is how well will you fare in the midst of those storms. That all depends upon whether or not you are building on the rock or whether or not you are building on the sands. Which, of course, brings us then to the main point of our story. It's important to kind of remember as we think about this, that this comes at the very end of the seventh chapter of Matthew. And so Jesus has been doing something for three chapters now. Chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. What has Jesus been doing? He's been preaching. You think I preach for a long time. Three chapters, Jesus is preaching. The Sermon on the Mount is what this is called. Okay, and we're going to take a look at this actually, the Sermon on the Mount coming up I think in January. And it's full of very difficult sayings. Right? Things like, you know, if someone offers you a coat, give them a cloak as well. Or, 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 or things like, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, blessed are the meek. And, and things if someone slaps you on one side, you know, turn the other cheek. And, you know, love your neighbor, but also love your enemy. Right? So there's all these very kind of difficult sayings that, that, that Jesus has been saying over three chapters in this one sermon. Right? And, and so he's, he's preaching that. And sometimes I think we have a feeling that when the people were listening, they were, they were probably thinking, oh, well, this is just too difficult. And how are you supposed to turn the other cheek and there's no way I'm going to do that and I can barely love my neighbor nonetheless my enemy and there's just no way and and I think sometimes I've always had a sense that that perhaps they are just kind of you know thinking well we just can't do this but but the more I've thought about it and the more I've pastored churches quite honestly I actually think that probably most of the people there were pretty excited about what Jesus was saying. In fact, most of them were probably nodding their heads in agreement as they they heard this. Yeah, that's right. This is good stuff. This is exactly what we should be doing. In fact, there may have even been some of them who were yelling, you know, amen, amen, right? Because this was before they were Presbyterians. So it was, at that point, it was still allowed. And so, So they loved the challenge. They, they, they loved the intellectual stimulation of it all. And, and the church in which I was raised, actually, you know, if people didn't feel like their toes were getting stepped on, if they didn't feel like they were being challenged at all, they didn't feel like they had church, you know? And it was after kind of the preacher kind of really went off and, and stuff that people would leave and they'd say, mm, we had church today. And even in this church, it seems to me that there's that sense that, that you all like a challenge, right? I mean, because the reality is, if not, then why even come? I I mean, mean, honestly, like if if all I was to do, or Scott or John, if if we were just to come in here every Sunday and we were just to, you know, just to say, you know what, you're just, you're doing great. You don't change one thing about you. 
everything you've been doing, you just keep right on doing. What would be the point of getting up and coming here? Right? Some of you, amen. There you go. That's, that's what we give amens to. Classic, right? Absolutely. That's true, though. It is an amen. I mean, why would you come in? It's much easier to just sip coffee, watch TV, go play golf, watch the golf, right? Big day today, right? It's so much easier to do any of those things, you know? I, I mean, why not do that, right? So I think that you like being challenged. I think that's enjoyable, and I think that that is good and right. And I have a feeling that's exactly what's happening here. I think that, I think that you know, there's Jesus, and he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I would suggest this, that if Jesus had simply ended by if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek that people would have left that Sermon on the Mount and they would have gone up to him afterwards and they would have said, great job. Wonderful job, preacher. You left me with something to think about all week. Which I think is exactly why Jesus didn't end like that. Instead, what Jesus ends with is this parable. A parable which is saying, though he didn't out and out say it per se, that if all you're going to do is come in here and smile and say amen and nod and go home and think about it, then I want you to know that every single one of my words and every challenge that you have received today is as worthless as a house built on the sand. The point is not for you to walk out and to think, wow, that was interesting, wow, that was challenging, and to do nothing else. The point is to walk out and to then begin to engage and act on the words that you have heard from Jesus. Otherwise, all we are doing is wasting our time playing in the sand. And in fact, for the Hebrew people, oftentimes the word that we translate as hearing is translated as obey. Because for the Hebrew people, to hear is to obey. And if you are not obeying, you did not really hear what was being said. Another way to put it is this. If you aren't obeying it, if you aren't doing it, you aren't believing it. So what does that look like? All right. If I were to say to you all, I'd love for you to look to the person to your left or your right, and I want you to tell me, do you believe, you know, do you, I mean, do we believe that we're called to love our neighbor? Is that, is that you know, is that, is that something we do, you know, you love your neighbor? Is that something we're called? I have a feeling that most of you, I mean, how many of you would say, yes, I believe that that's what we're, you know, yes, we, we should love our neighbor? Okay. Um, okay. All right. Well, I mean, uh, this is good. No. First service, it was 30%. You guys are at least 31%. So that's good. Now, if I were to say to you, great, I would love for you to turn to the person or to your left or to your right right now. I'm not going to do this. But if I were, and to tell me when sometime in the last month when you have gone out of your way to love your neighbor in some way or the stranger in your midst, someone at work, someone at the ball field, wherever it is that you have gone out of the way, maybe you had a meal with them, maybe you just sat down and talked to them, maybe you just reached out to them in some way, I would love for you to do that, to tell me, for you to exchange with one another when you've done that. I wonder how many of you who answered the second question, it would be the exact same way you answered the first question because the reality is that the way you answer the second question is the actual answer to whether or not you believe we are called to love one another and to love our neighbor. Because if you ain't doing it, you ain't believing it. 
And if you ain't doing it, then you're building it on sand. Three times in the Sermon on the Mount, three times Jesus talks about money. Right? You think I talk about money too much. Jesus talked about it three times and three different times in one sermon. The coat and cloak that I already mentioned, the building of treasures up in heaven versus on earth, and you can't serve God and money. Jesus says we are called to be a generous people because everything we have is a gift. And if I were to say, hey, do you think you were called to be a generous people? And you, I asked you to turn to the person on your left and right, and you said, you know, what would you say? Even fewer of you. Okay, good, yeah. And then if I were to say, that's great. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to get your app that you have on your phone, or maybe next week you can just bring it and pull up your bank statement, and then I'd like for you to share that with the person to your left and to your right. And then let us look to see whether or not we actually believe that we're called to be a generous people. I mean, I'd love to like look down there and say, okay, I see, oh, you ate at Red Robin. That's fantastic. Now, this says here, you know, $110, that's a lot of money for Red Robin. You know, oh, well, we went with the Smiths, and so we decided to pick it up. We decided to pick up the tab. That's not something you have to do every time you go out. And it doesn't have to look like that every time. But the question is, if you're going out to eat all the time, if you go out with different families, pick up the tab one time. Be generous. Not with me. This is not a way for me to get a free meal. It's not a bad idea, but that's not, right? Or I've talked about it before when it comes to, I, at, least, at least once a year, I've got to give a plug to our waiters and to our waitresses. I want to look at the receipt. Look at the receipt. Does it show the tip you're giving that you are a generous person? There's lots of different ways that we can look over, and it will look different for everyone. But I want you to know that what is on your bank statement, and I feel this right now. I feel my own judgment. What's on your bank statement, that is saying what you believe and what is important to you. If you're a parent, what are you passing down to your children? I can remember very well my mother writing out a check. She made sure to look at me, to talk to us about it every time that she wrote that check to the church as a sign, not of her being prideful in any sense, but a sign of saying, this is important. This is what we believe. The reality is, if we want to know what people believe, don't ask them to open up their mouths. They will tell you anything. Ask them to open up their calendars, their diaries, and their checkbooks, and that will tell you what they actually believe. I realize that's a hard saying. It's hard to say it, but remember, I didn't say it. It's Jesus. And I think that one of the reasons why he said it was not just simply because he wanted you personally to align with what you say and what you do. I think it's because he knew, think about this, the whole time, Jesus knew that the church was going to be the witness to him. And Jesus knew that if the church was not aligning what it said with what it did, that his witness was going to be ruined. And we have seen that happen, quite frankly, again and again and again. One of the things as we were talking about this as a staff, this particular passage is the homes are what we see. Most of our homes, I have a feeling, look pretty. 
And the homes are the words that we talk about. These are the words, right? They're important. It's, it's fine to have a nice home in the, in, in the kind of proverbial sense of, of words. This is what you believe. This is what I believe about God. That's the living room. What I believe about Jesus, that's the bedroom. This is what I, I believe about the Holy Spirit. This is what I believe how we should act. We all write out, and we spend lots of time, churches do this, individuals do this, talking about it, writing it out. This is a beautiful home. The real question, though, at the end of the day is, what's the foundation? Which means, are you actually doing it or not? Because if you're not, all you've done is built a beautiful mansion on a pile of sand. And I, for one, would much prefer to have a shack on a piece of rock than to have a mansion on a piece of sand. So my hope and my prayer for us as we go through this week and as we go through next week is not to simply come in and say, how are we going to be challenged at all? What does that mean intellectually for us? Or I liked it or I didn't like it. The real question is, what are we actually willing to live? How are we willing to live out our lives? If we have to settle right now for a shack so that we are actually doing whatever it says we believe, then so be it. My hope and my prayer, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that when you are asked, what do you believe? That you will perhaps be more reticent to open your mouth and more excited to show them whomever it is, this is what I believe because this is what I do. May it be so. Amen.